You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery, and I am going to jump us right into the show so we can keep this one fairly short in comparison to the hour-long ones I was doing back in November. One of the interesting things that I did in last week's episode was is talking about the audit so that you can gauge whether your drinking is an issue or not. And I think it's extremely important to know that. And if you know somebody in your life that you're looking to support who may not think they have a problem, that test can certainly illuminate some darker shadowy areas in their life. So if you haven't gone back and listened to that episode yet about audit and how to gauge whether your drinking is a problem or not, definitely go back and check that out. For those of you who are already working your way into sobriety and recovery, maybe you're doing the dry January and here we are, you've got a couple weeks in and maybe you've already noticed some that you're, you're back and forth, you're seesawing, maybe you didn't even make it a week. I don't know what your situation is, but what I want to talk about today is the seven things to not do or to be mindful of when you first quit drinking or drugging. I believe that this works for any kind of addiction. It could be a process addiction, uh, you know, the you know, sex, porn, gambling, whatever it might be, but specifically alcohol, drugs, this is going to pertain to that. And again, you know why you're listening to the show. And if you have a process addiction, which is the act of doing something to in order to feel so, something else, that's a process addiction. Uh, if it's a substance abuse disorder, then it's the process of taking something in order to feel something. There's a very particular reason why I don't say, oh, yeah, you're taking something to feel better, because that's a subjective to perspective. You may not actually be taking the alcohol drug to feel better. It could be to mute yourself. It could be to hide away from something. It could be for a lot of reasons, but feeling better is just one of the many. So when I talk about SUDs and process addictions, I don't necessarily say that you're shopping a bunch in order to feel good. Uh, you might be doing it to fill a void of jealousy you have about somebody else, which you think is helping you feel good, but in reality, it's not. It's just deepening the hole. So there's a lot of reasons why people get into addictions at the beginning stages when they start doing addictive behaviors. Nobody signs up and says, I really hope that I get addicted to this thing. It just starts making us feel something. And that feeling becomes a part of our coping mechanisms. And then the next thing you know, in order to cope through life, we keep doing this one behavior because it helps us feel this one thing. So here's going to be a list of the seven things to be mindful of, to not do, to pay attention to when you first quit anything that you deem as an addictive behavior in your own life. And if you're supporting somebody else who is looking to remedy themselves from an addictive behavior, this is going to be very important for you to know as well. So let's hop right on in so we don't make this a three-hour long show. Number one, don't keep alcohol in your home. Now, I want to say that alcohol is super easy to get and drugs are not easy to get, but I've got somebody in the tribe who's also... Um, a client on his recovery coach who can literally have crack delivered to his house. So it turns out that getting drugs is way easier now than it ever was for me uh, back in my using days. 
Um, I don't remember there ever being somebody who would deliver me drugs in Los Angeles. Although I feel like had I searched out for that, I probably could have discovered it. Uh, there was somebody, was it called Drizzly? Dribbly? Drunky? I can't remember the name of the organization, the company, but there was somebody who would bring me booze. And I would have them bring me an entire bottle, like a big bottle, uh, like a liter vo bottle of vodka and a 12-pack of Stella. And it would cost me roughly twice as much as I would have at the store. But I didn't want to leave my house, and so that's what I spent my money on. So don't keep alcohol at home. Removing the alcohol from your immediate environment is absolutely going to benefit you. It's going to reduce that temptation and the likelihood that you'll lapse or relapse. Be mindful that you obviously don't want to be keeping drugs in your home either. So if that's one of the things that you're looking to remove from your life, you know, saying, oh, well, I'm just going to stash this away over here just in case, and then trying to quit while you know a bag of cocaine's in your sock drawer, it's probably not going to behoove your sobriety and recovery very well. And I say this understanding that I could be coming off hypocritical right now. Because for those of you who are longtime listeners who've listened to my entire catalog of episodes, you know that I, at some point I have mentioned to you that I kept alcohol in my bedroom in my Hollywood apartment for the first six weeks I was sober. Now, those first six weeks, I was going through wicked, hardcore withdrawals and detoxing. And I did keep a bottle of whiskey and some Stella beers and some bottles of wine underneath my bed and in my dresser drawer next to my bed. I didn't even have to necessarily prop myself up on one elbow. They were so close, I could have just rolled over and grabbed them. I just wanted to test myself to see if I was serious about this or not. You wake up in a bathtub, covered in your own filth, thinking you're having a heart attack. You see a monster looking back at you in the mirror, and a uh, switch was flipped. I called Kaiser, asked for help. They said yes, and that's how the story goes. The thing to understand is that that worked for me. And other people have heard me say this and have tried this and then have written me and said, well, it didn't work for me. That's horrible advice. Why are you telling people this? I'm speaking my truth about what I did. I am not necessarily under any circumstances telling you that you should go off and do this yourself. I'm not. I'm not. What I want you to understand is that you are going to be looking to figure this self out for yourself. Not keeping alcohol at home is going to be the first step for majority of you. 99% of you are going to want to follow that. If you are living with somebody who doesn't want to change their lifestyle just because you are changing yours, then that's going to be a conversation to have. Even them hiding it in their bedroom or trying to lock it away in a closet, it's still going to let you know that it's in the house. And if you've tried to quit multiple times and people are tired of changing their life in order to help you whenever they've watched you go back, there might be some pushback. And we're going to get into that a little bit here later. Just understand, do your best to figure out a way to keep alcohol out of the house. I had a roommate. They kept alcohol in the house. Never really bothered me too much. Uh, it was like really oddly enough, like a year and a half in, I got into a huge argument with my then girlfriend over the phone and, um, I opened up this shelf in order to get, I don't know, like a bottle of soda water or something out from above the fridge. And there was a bottle of Jameson and Jameson was my fave whiskey towards the end of my drinking. And it triggered me. And I just took the bottle and went straight upstairs and just said, Hey man, no big deal that it's in the house. But if you wouldn't mind just keeping this in here for a little while. And I never saw alcohol in the kitchen again. He even apologized. I was like, dude, that ain't on you. It's been fine up there for the last seven months you've lived with me. Just today, it wasn't good. And he's understood and he was mad cool about it. And again, never kept alcohol in the kitchen after that. And I didn't even ask him. So figure out a way to have that conversation if you live with people. 
and just see where it goes from there. But don't just not say something if it's bothering you. At least broach the subject and see where it goes. Number two, don't replace alcohol with other unhealthy habits. Right? We're not looking to start smoking more cigarettes or increase our marijuana intake. Or <laughs> I'll laughably throw this out as a suggestion here, but do not increase your cocaine usage because you quit drinking alcohol. Um, in fact, if you are doing other drugs that you used to pair with alcohol, the likelihood that you're going to be able to continue using those drugs without having it at some point trigger the craving for alcohol is super minimal because your brain is looking for a balance. You want to get it back to homeostasis. You've got some areas, you know, the limbic system where your amygdala and your emotional center are. These things are thrown out of loop. They're out of wiring whenever you are hardcore drinking. Even two drinks. I mean, this is stuff that you can go read about. Like the government says anything more than like two drinks a day is too much. I think the one of the questions on the audit is, do you drink more than four times in a week? Like four drinks. I would drink that in the shower at my fraternity house before I even was ready to get drunk for the night. So understand that your level of drinking might only be a few glasses of wine, but that few glasses of wine is enough to begin to change the cellular structure of your brain. When you quit drinking, you're wanting your brain to get healthy and heal itself. And it will. It will heal itself. The body is amazingly resilient. After all, we were able to pour poison down into our systems for years and live. So clearly we're a resilient species. And when you quit drinking, you want that to start to balance itself out. When you quit drugging, you want it to balance itself out. Issue is, is if you quit drinking, but you still are smoking marijuana, you're putting in a chemical into the brain that is going to stunt the healing. It's not going to heal the way that you're hoping it will. And it's only a matter of time before the cravings and the shaking, the tremors, the the triggerings, all of it combines. And you're like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm already stoned. Might as well just have a beer. So be mindful of other unhealthy habits, increasing the use of other substances. Also, uh, really, really mindful about increasing your cigarette intake. That's not going to necessarily help either, especially if you used to pair that with your drugs and alcohol. Um, overeating, uh, gambling, uh, pornography, uh, sexaholism, shopping even. like There's these other behaviors that aren't necessarily going to benefit this at all. Um, in fact, I used to get super drunk and buy a bunch of dumb shit on Amazon, or I'd get drunk and then go to the mall and buy a bunch of dumb crap and then wake up with a bunch of stupid stuff in my room and have to go take it back to the mall or return it all back to Amazon because, you know, JMO decided to hop on Amazon after half a bottle of Jemison at three in the morning and buy a bunch of silly crap that he didn't need, right? So just be mindful of replacing alcohol and drugs with other unhealthy habits. Number three, neglecting self-care. Don't neglect self-care. I utilize exercise right out the gate. I joined um, Equinox in Hollywood, and I started going to the gym every single day. I'd wander around in circles in the gym just so I wouldn't have to be home. Be physically active because you're going to want to be getting adequate sleep. You're going to want to get on a good sleep schedule. One of the issues you're going to experience is going to be the ability to not sleep very well when you first quit alcohol, drugs, any of these addictions. It's going to be difficult because your brain is wired differently now. You have changed the cellular structure of your brain. Your limbic system, um, the amygdala, that whole emotional center of your brain, it's thrown for a loop. And it's looking for homeostasis. And that will occur. And it could take you weeks or months 
to get your brain back to just this homeostasis. I'll keep using that. That's just that balance that you're seeking. So when you are trying to get sleep, right, and you're desperate for it, but your brain's not letting you do it because it's over here out of balance, out of sorts, it wants its alcohol or drugs, it wants to feel what it used to feel, it's going to be difficult to sleep. Eating healthy, getting yourself a balanced diet, not turning to a sugar-heavy diet, definitely get off the fast food. That's just laced with sodium and sugar, and that is just going to make the cravings even worse because alcohol's got a sugar at its base. Um, Cigarettes um, have been laced with sugar, the butts and the tobacco, so that you uh, crave it even more. This is why people who quit smoking cigarettes end up craving sugar and eating a lot of sugar. It's because our cigarettes have been laced with sugar. I know. Isn't that fucking diabolical? Uh, so get the regular exercise. Burn yourself out. Start walking, 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 running. I'm not even a proponent of running, but if that's what is going to help you get off the booze, then do it. Nothing you start doing at the beginning of your sobriety has to be a habit that you keep for the rest of your life. You're looking to get yourself past that first 30, 60, 90, 120 days so you can begin to build up all new habits around your sobriety and recovery. So you're going to want to do drastic things in order to shift yourself up. Some sub points about not neglecting self-care. Don't bottle up your emotions. When you suppress your feelings, that can lead to emotional overload. That's where we start noticing um, these uh, like jolts of anger in newly discovered sobriety people is that all of a sudden it's like you just keep pushing and pushing and pushing your emotions down and that's just going to be like putting Mentos in a two liter and then, you know, shaking it up and putting the cap on really loosely. At some point, the thing's going to freaking blow up. So we want to find healthy ways to express and process your emotions. This is extremely important to your self-care. So when you feel like you're going to yell, go back to my uh, reaction, emotionally triggered versus response, emotionally grounded episode. I think it was recent within like, it was one of those dailies back in December. And listen to that because you want to be able to express your emotions in a healthy way. So elongate the time from the stimulus that causes the negative emotional feeling inside of you to the time that you do something externally about it. The longer you can create that space between, the less likely you're to go and start yelling and screaming and feel like you're off your handle. You want to maintain an emotional groundedness. So do not suppress your feelings. Speak your truth. Let it be heard. And then, you know, the conversation can begin. Uh, the second sub point on this is let's not be too hard on ourselves, right? Quitting drinking is a huge thing and it's getting more and more prevalent in our society to talk about it, but it also can be very much uh, in the shadows, a feeling of shame whenever you have to go through this in your life. Don't be so hard on yourself. Be patient. Recognize that recovery is a journey. It's ups and downs. It's ebbs and flows. It's goods and bads. In reality, that's just life. The goods, the bads, the highs, the lows, the ups, the downs. I mean, that's just the facts of life. It's the facts of life. It's normal for us to feel a lot of different emotions during any given day. Now you add stopping drinking to the mix, stopping drugging to the mix, and it's like, holy shit, did we just shake up the Mentos bottle times 10? That's like a 50 liter Coke bottle with Mentos in it. It's a lot. So don't be so hard on yourself. Be gentle. Being mean to yourself is probably something that you're very familiar with. Let's break that habit too. Um, Also, being mindful of your hydration and nutrition. I just got to circle back to this one. Um, 
alcohol has been affecting your body for years, potentially. I don't know how long you were off in doing your drinking and drugging, but for most of us, it's been years in order for us to get to the point where we know we need to stop. So be mindful of the hydration. Like nutrition, I covered it. Let's make sure we eat in a balanced diet. Try to stay away from a lot of sugar at the beginning. Uh, But again, I used to eat an Oreo every single night for like my first three, four, five months, a lot of months. I don't even think I've ever told you guys about that. So every night before I went to bed, my reward for another day sober was one Oreo. One. (laughs) Just one. Because I just wanted one. That's what I wanted. I wanted one Oreo to be my reward. So I didn't necessarily dive headfirst into sugar, but I definitely made sure every day I got an Oreo. Um, With water, a lot of the times when you think you're hungry, you're actually dehydrated. So an opportunity for you to start... um, keeping up, if not kicking up your water intake. In fact, that being said, I'm going to drink some water real fast. God, water is so good. I love water. Water quenches and water can quench your thirst whenever you are in the new stages of alcohol recovery. Drink the water. I mean, where our bodies are 70% water. So when you're going through those detoxes, when you're feeling angry, when you have an emotional overload, grab yourself some water. Um, some people drink it, you know, hot water, like tea. Other people want it ice cold. Figure out your best way. If you've got to go and buy some of those little crystal light powdery things to give your water some flavor because you think water's gross, whatever. Just drink water. All right. I think I've said enough about water. Water? Water? Water, 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 water. Water, 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 water. What should you do? What should you do? Ah, drink water. Thank you. I appreciate all of you who said drink water there. I'll stop saying water for now, but maybe water a little bit later. Number four, don't disregard small achievements. I teach this in my coaching. Let's celebrate the small stuff. Let's be childlike. Let's enjoy our lives again. Celebrate the small victories. Every single night I got myself an Oreo. Every day without alcohol is an achievement. Acknowledge that you are doing this for yourself, for your loved ones, for the world at large. Acknowledge it. This is going to boost your morale. It's going to increase your motivation each day to wake up feeling inspired, to go through it and do it again. Enjoy it. Disregarding small achievements, is it, it's some BS that's been programmed into us, into society, that you know we shouldn't all get you know rewards just for showing up to the baseball game. And I get it. I'm not saying that we're handing out trophies for every little thing here, but let's do a little celebration. Throw your arms up. Say victory. Um, I got one client right now that I'm just trying to encourage to say victory. And they feel, I can tell, a little silly doing it, but that just tells me that there's a mechanism inside of them that's holding them back from just celebrating the small stuff. And I was definitely raised in a family where it's like, okay, great, you got a good grade on this test, but what about the next one? What about this? What about that? This, that, the other? And it's like, okay, can we all just not act like we're professional athletes for a second in middle of the season when they just had a huge win, say, well, you know, that's good. uh, We're going to celebrate it tonight, but then, you know, tomorrow it's back in the film room and it's all about preparing on to Cincinnati. It's like, okay, yeah, I get it. But you can smile when you just won a game. Like, let's make sure that we're celebrating our achievements. Be excited. Give yourself a cookie at the end of every night. Do something fun for yourself. And I get it that a lot of us are being told out there, I 
have just done hours of research to come up with this over the course of days. And things are like, your self-care, uh, you need to wake up at five in the morning, you need to get 20 minutes of meditation, do 20 minutes of yoga, you need to work out for 30 minutes, you need to drink half a gallon of water, you need to eat a well-balanced meal, you need to hop on one foot while singing supercalifragilisticexpialidocious backwards in, in German. It's like, you know what? You don't have to do any of that stuff. None. None of that zip zada. You do what starts helping you maintain your sobriety and recovery. I do not think for a million, uh, you cannot convince me that I need to wake up every single morning and the first thing I need to do is meditate for 20 minutes and do yoga for 20 minutes and work out for an hour and drink a half gallon of water and all that other crap I just mentioned. Yet it's all over. It's the proliferation of this kind of BS is all over social media. I stay up till two, three in the morning working. And then I give myself an hour of TV with a protein shake. And I also don't get up till 9 or 10. I like to work at night. I don't need to hear about circadian rhythms and all that other mumbo jumbo. Yes, I get it. That for tens of thousands of years, we went to bed when the sun went down and we got up when the sun came up. That's awesome. That's stupendous. Of all the things that we have been trained to do, I am more than happy to break that covenant with the sun. I can sleep till 9 or 10, get up and be super active. And I do. I do really like writing essays after midnight. That's just my thing. And I would say that my grades are showing that it's working for me. So I don't want you to think that self-care has to look like it does for everybody else. I prefer to do my meditations right before midnight. I prefer to do my yoga um, after the girlfriend goes to bed right around 10. I prefer to do my workouts at 2 in the afternoon after I've already gotten some work in. I have the times of day I like to do those things. I do those things. I could do them more often if I wanted to use conflictatory language. Right? I should be meditating more often. I meditate when I meditate, and I have certainly noticed the benefits of it. So be paying attention to those kind of self-care routines and celebrate when you do them. But don't be thinking that you're not doing it right because you're not getting up at five in the morning and doing all the things that, that stupid Instagram reel told you to do. Right, Do it when it feels good to you, but definitely at least try it. Not just once or twice, but try it like seven times. Make sure you've given it a good go before you decide it's not for you. And then celebrate those little achievements when you're able to sit still for five minutes and meditate. All right. Another little thing here. We want to be looking to avoid overconfidence. Like We want to celebrate the small achievements, right? but when you start to get overconfident about the little victories that you're having, you could be tempted to then rush yourself into a situation that you're not quite ready for. And we're going to get more into this here when we get to number five. But it's going to be important that, yes, you are having these small achievements. Does that mean that you want to go to your favorite sport bar uh, and watch football while everybody else is getting smashed around you because you've made it 30 days? Just be mindful of where overconfidence might put you back into a situation that you're not quite ready for. You want to be vigilant and aware of your limitations in the triggers. So just celebrate the small achievements, realizing that they're part of a greater good. It's part of a bigger whole. It's like, yeah, if you're putting together a puzzle and you've been spending days trying to put together the hot air balloon in the middle of the sky and you finally got it, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that the rest of the puzzle is already done. It just means that that one part is. So celebrate that the hot air balloon is complete in the puzzle and also realize there's a lot more pieces left in the puzzle. You don't just get to do a little dance and walk away and all is fine with the world. Puzzle's still not done. So don't get so overconfident that you walk away saying, well, you know, puzzle's done, figured out the hot air balloon. 
when there's still another 5,000 pieces left turned upside down. Number five, don't ignore the need for support. Now, there's a lot of different facets to this. I tried to limit them, but I came up with at least four or five things that I want to discuss here. Um, The opposite of addiction is connection. A lot of times we felt ostracized, we felt isolated, we were pushed out of social groups or, you know, quote unquote, kicked out of the family because of our drinking and drugging. You're going to want support and it may not necessarily be right away, if at all, even your family, your loved ones, your spouse, your children. You're going to want to go find support with other people within the community who know what being an alcoholic or a drug addict is like and what it's like to go through sobriety and recovery. They're going to be able to give you some amazing information about yourself, what you're going to experience physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So whether it's AA or Refuge Recovery or Dharma Recovery or Smart Recovery or, I don't know, hanging out with cats in the middle of a park recovery, just go find yourself some support. If you live in a very rural area and it's hard to find meetings or you're afraid if you go to them, you're going to be seen by people in the community, you would rather not have know that you are going through sobriety and recovery than find one online. But we live in a world where damn near all of us have a smartphone and that smartphone is going to have a way for you to put an application on it so that you can go be involved in a meeting and don't be involved in the meeting with the TV on and also over there messing around on social media. Put the thing on a little uh, tripod, put it on your table with some books holding it up, do something and be engaged. Listen to other people's stories. Also getting therapy, a recovery coach. I mean, that's one of the reasons I do what I do. I mean, I've been telling you guys this for I don't know how long, but if you would like to know more about how to become one of my recovery coaching clients, you need to go no further than jessemogul.com slash ask me, fill out the questionnaire, and let's get on the phone and let's have a conversation. Let's see if what I do will help you. Because you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, or you wouldn't be listening to a show like this. And you might have some time under your belt, but you feel like your sobriety and recovery isn't just quite where you would like it to be. You see other people having this, that, or the other, and you're not really sure what you're doing quote unquote wrong, that's not allowing you to feel that, have that, see that, think that. There's a lot of things that happen in our minds when we get into the early stages of our addiction. And we use it as a coping mechanism in order to help us with trauma and suffering from our youth. Those things need to have lights shined on them. Let's heal that stuff up. And if you're ready to really step into an aggressive form of way of doing this, right? We're not just going to sit here and chit chat and think about what we can do. We're going to sit here. We're going to heal things up. We're actually going to come up with a plan and you're going to go put it into action. That's what my recovery coaching is. It's not a bunch of talky talky. It's a bunch of talky, then dewy dewy. Yeah, that sounded a little weird when I said it, but still, we're going to talk. We're going to come up with a plan and you're going to go take action. jessemogul.com slash ask me gets you there. That's what support can be like for you. You can get a sponsor. You can get a mentor. There's a lot. Now, on that note, one of these sub points, don't ignore professional help. I've got certifications in recovery coaching. I'm a certified recovery support specialist. I've got multiple certifications in different modalities within the psychological field, neuro-linguistic programming, cognitive behavioral therapy, EMDR. There are specialists, there are counselors, there are therapists out there who can help you as well. They will bring guidance, they will bring support. So be mindful. 
Do you have the kind of healthcare uh, coverage that will allow you to have therapy as part of that? If not, there's a lot of opportunities for you to switch your healthcare providers throughout the year. Find out where exactly you are getting your health care. Contact them and find out what kind of services they have around mental wellness and mental health. So a couple other subplots, right? Don't Around not ignoring support would be avoid isolation. The opposite of addiction is connection. Don't find yourself isolated. Seek support. Sober friends. Uh, maybe family does want to help you. Maybe there's some support groups. Just a, avoid isolation. Don't hang out with drinking friends. Part of that not being with the whole isolation thing is that you don't want to be going out with your old drinking friends to your old drinking hangouts, right? That's sort of a double whammy right here. You don't want to be going to your old drinking hangouts, the clubs, the bars, all those places. And that's probably where you knew some fun people, but you're not going to be able to go hang out with them right away because they're not going to necessarily want to change their life. And they might even actually cajole you into, ask you about, offer you alcohol and drugs many times because you quitting and has them looking at themselves in the mirror saying, well, damn, if Jesse quit, does that mean I got a problem? Because I've seen Jesse tie one on, but I was always standing right next to him. So just be mindful that hanging out in your old stomping grounds with your old stomping buddies uh, and gals could be, be a very triggering mechanism. So you might have to change your friends for a little while, maybe even forever. You might actually find that the people you thought were your friends were really only hanging out with you because you were a good old time or you always brought drugs and alcohol to the party. So be prepared for your social structure, your social circle to change. Um, another sub one around not ignoring support is uh, avoiding celebrations centered around alcohol. I went to a wedding five months into my sobriety and recovery, and it was for two of was my best friend, and um, my, our other best friend was the best man, and I was a groomsman, and they all knew I didn't drink, and they were very supportive of it. You know, whenever I started feeling a little antsy, uh, the best man, Dan, would walk with me. It was at a vineyard, so we would just go for a walk and just go sit on a bench and just hang out and shoot shit about the good old days. Uh, be mindful if you start going to birthday parties, bar mitzvahs, quinceaneras, whatever, there, there's going to be alcohol there. Um, that's how adults get along is they drink alcohol around their children during their children's parties. So <laughs> just be mindful that you might have to say, hey, I'd love to come to my niece's birthday. But you know what? There's usually a lot of beer there and I just cannot be around alcohol right now. So thank you. I will miss this one. Uh, let's put her on the phone. I'll do some FaceTime. Uh, number six, avoiding major life changes. This might actually just be unavoidable. You might have gotten into sobriety and recovery because you got a DUI, because you got fired from your job, because you got divorced, um, because you got evicted. You might have no choice but to take on major life changes. If you are in a position where major life changes are not being thrusted upon you based off of the consequences of your actions, then it's just advisable to be mindful to not take on too much at the beginning stages of your sobriety and recovery. You might be very inclined to change your job once you get sober and you realize that you were in that menial-ass job because nobody ever tested you or pushed you and you were able to fly under the radar and be an alcoholic or drug addict. And now you're sober. And now you're like, you know what? Screw this. I want more money or I want a better environment or I don't really like any of these people I work with because they were always getting drunk with me and now they're just pissy toward me because I quit drinking. I don't know. But major life changes can add stress. 
and we want to be mindful of stress and anxiety and negative emotions at the beginning stages. This goes hand in hand with avoiding stressful situation. You might have a job where it's already high stressed. I was a bartender at a very popular hotel on the boulevard in Los Angeles. I had no choice but to be around a high stress environment. I was also mindful that when I left there to decompress myself and, you know, get my exercise in, get some meditation or breathing in and just simmering myself down. If you can avoid high stress situations and environments, then I would highly recommend you give yourself some levity, give yourself some breathing room and allow some healing to go down before you start trying to throw yourself right back in the middle of the fire. Minimizing stress, learning healthy coping mechanisms to manage it, gaining healthy activities. And again, meditation and exercise are going to come up time and time again. You're going to hear that a lot. But there's other ways that you could do it as well. You could read books. You could listen to really enjoyable music. You could go for walks in the park. Um, you could begin trying to herd cats. Whatever works for you. Just look out for major life changes and stressful situations. Definitely be mindful of those two things. And last but not least... And perhaps one of the most important, because humans have a tendency to do this anyways in life, don't overcomplicate your sobriety and recovery by trying to change too many things at once. I really have it down as don't make too many changes at once. One of the things that ends up happening when we go to flip the switch from active addiction into sobriety and recovery is that we want to change a lot of things. So don't change a lot of things. You're already changing alcohol. And like I said in the last couple episodes, you have thousands of habits built up around the alcohol consumption. You are going to be shattering those habits that have been leading you back to consuming. And you're going to be looking to build up new habits. Your brain has enough to work on with breaking the habits that led you to drinking and drugging to then also need to have 87 more habits around, I'm going to take up the guitar and I'm also going to learn, you know, uh, physics and Deuteronomy and I'm going to, you know, write a whole collection of books around the brilliance of snails and their shells. Like just reel it in a little bit. I cannot tell you how many clients have come to me and been like, that's it. I'm going to to quit drinking and I'm going to lose 50 pounds and I'm going to start walking 10,000 steps a day. And I'm also going to boogie board and I'm also going to learn how to paddle board and I'm going to ride my bike to work. And I'm also going to, you know, donate 20 hours a week to the local animal hospital. And I'm like, wow, wow. Yesterday you were going to work, coming home, sitting on your couch, drinking beer in your underwear while you wolf down on donuts, watching the Simpsons. And now you're going to do all that stuff starting tomorrow. Okay. Okay. Sounds a whole lot like a New Year's resolution to me. And we know what goes down on New Year's Day. A lot of people just say, that was stupid. (laughs) Why did I say I was going to do any of that stuff? So don't try to change too many things at once. Uh, A subcategory on this is not setting unrealistic goals. Just don't, just be mindful of the goals, right? We want to be ambitious. But if you start setting vague goals, they can lead to frustration because your brain doesn't know what to, what to actually do. I want to lose weight. Well, what does that mean? Lose one pound, you lost weight. Go to the bathroom one time, you lost weight. Go for a walk in the sunshine, you lost some weight. Like, what exactly do you want? Get specific and have them be achievable. Like, I, I read a study recently, and I couldn't tell you where it came from, but during my research on this, it was, I have access to this whole database of, like, scientific papers. and 
one of the things that it talked about was that how there is this belief that we want to set these very difficult goals so that when we achieve them, we will feel amazing because we know we will have pushed ourselves. The study in this particular article read that actually setting easily achievable goals at the beginning of major life changes will actually inspire you to stay motivated to continue making changes. So if you say, well, I want to lose 100 pounds, well, that's going to take a while. I mean, even if you're really, really great at this and you can somehow lose two pounds a week, it's going to take you a whole year to lose 100 pounds. So you don't get to celebrate till you've lost 100 pounds? Just commit to losing five pounds. You could do that in a month. Celebrate the achievement and then set the next goal for five pounds. Make it so that you get these victories along the way. Setting unrealistic goals or really hard to achieve goals or far off goals, that's great. And you could definitely make that the end game. But give yourself these little benchmarks along the way. It's like when you run a marathon, If you, I'm sure you at the very least have seen these long distance races on TV or in your hometown. Every single mile along the marathon is marked so that the runners know that they've passed another mile marker. Now, the goal is to get to mile 26.2, but you still get to celebrate the achievement of hitting each mile marker along the way. So you get the satisfaction of the achievement of passing another mile marker, realizing that the main goal of the whole race is to make it to the end. But there's a specificity there. I will make it to the end of this race. It is 26.2 miles away. It is downtown by the duck pond. Now you, your brain knows where it's going. Make it a realistic goal. Start achieving realistic goals. I want to start a business that makes seven figures a year. And you determining that on day seven of sobriety and recovery, you could be looking at five to 10 years of hard work in order to achieve that. I want to find a business that I can start up as a side hustle to start making enough money to be able to quit my actual job in a year. That's more short term. Now I want to discuss and discover a business I can start up uh, by the end of this month so that I can start bringing in $100 a week. That is realistic. That is achievable. Go for something like that and then you can build up to the bigger ones. People are like, no, set amazing goal. I'm going to climb Mount Everest. Well, if you've never walked up a hill without, you know, bending over and holding your knees and gasping for breath, great. I'm not telling you not to go climb Mount Everest, but there's going to be a lot of work between here and there. Celebrate that you can walk up a hill before you start trying to determine how long it's going to take you to get to Mount Everest. Avoid complacency. Right? Don't assume a few days or a couple weeks without booze or drugs means you're cured. You're probably never going to be cured on this. I don't know who you are. I don't understand your situation. So I'm not going to say that you have absolutely, without a doubt, positively, 100%, just as I know the sun rises in the east and sets with the west, know that you can never drink or drug again. I don't know your particular situation. But if you're listening to a show like this, if you've gone to rehab, then you have very well rung the bell. You have crossed the, ind- the invisible line and you do not get to go back to go and start all over again. You have awakened the beast inside and that's it. You will have alcoholism or drugism for the rest of your life. You don't have to go around telling everybody you're an alcoholic. You don't have to label yourself that, but you are definitely somebody who is in remission from alcoholism, right? You're never completely cured from cancer. You're in remission from cancer. 
Congratulations, alcohol is a disease and you are now in remission, but you are not cured. You do not get to go back and try it all over again. There's a very good chance you've already done that before. I would go a year, a year. What year did I do it? It was right after Wet and Wild, so that would have been sometime between 22 and 23. Yeah, 22 and 23. That one I only went six months for. That one I only went six months for. But there was definitely a year I did in Gainesville. Yeah, that was right after I started at TGI Fridays when I left for Ale House. Yeah, I did an entire year. And right, and I thought, oh, okay, I've kicked this. <laughs> I didn't kick nothing. That beast was there. It was just hibernating. So avoid complacency. You are not cured. There is no cure for this disease. It can go into remission, but it is not cured. That beast inside of you, your brain's remembrance of what it was like to be massively intoxicated is absolutely there. Um, complacency can lead to relapse. And then I want you to be avoiding overconfidence. I brought this up earlier with small achievements. I want to bring it back up again. Uh, yes, set realistic goals. Celebrate them when you win. Don't disregard your small achievements. We've talked about this. Avoid complacency. You want to keep pushing yourself. Also realizing that, you know, yes, you scored a touchdown. You've figured out the hot air balloon in the sky. That is just a piece of the puzzle. It's just one picture in a never-ending puzzle. I want you to be confident in who you are, but getting braggadocious and starting to tell everybody that you've figured it out. I know it all about sobriety and recovery. I have figured it all out. The world should bow down to my knowledge, please. That is where you lack integrity, (laughs) humility, and gratitude. And we will discuss those again in a future episode. So now you have the major seven things to not do, to be mindful of. Don't keep alcohol in your house. Don't replace alcohol with unhealthy habits. Don't neglect self-care. We don't want you bottling up your emotions. Don't be too hard on yourself. Don't neglect hydration and nutrition. Uh, Number four, don't disregard small achievements. Avoiding overconfidence. Number five, don't ignore the need for support. Don't ignore professional help. Avoiding isolation. Avoiding old drinking hangouts. Avoiding old drinking friends. Avoiding celebrations that center around alcohol. Uh, Six, avoid major life changes. Also, avoiding stressful situations is going to behoove you, uh, which is just a fancy little word for benefit, I think. I don't know. My brain just said it, and that's what I said. Number seven, don't disregard small achievements. Um, Let's be setting realistic goals, not unrealistic goals, avoiding complacency, avoiding overconfidence. Um, And that was all part of the... Don't try to change too many things at once. Don't over plan, right? We're just do not change too many things at one time. Changing drinking is enough. Um, I've got don't disregard small achievements on here twice because I think in number seven for don't try to change too much, it just seemed like they went together really well. And I really stress is celebrating the small victories. Be a child enjoy this. There's probably an aching, suffering, traumatized child inside of you, which is what led to using alcohol and drugs as a coping mechanism to begin with. So let's reawaken that childlike enthusiasm in yourself and enjoy the hell out of this journey. Because I can assure you, every day is the best day of your life when you wake up sober. So that's it. 
That's what I had to say about that. Go out there, be amazing. Inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine and Robert. Glow on. Find me, jessemogul.com slash ask me, and I'll see how I can help you. All right, my friends. Bye-bye.